Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. We are here in, I think it's about part 10 of our series, might even be 11, a series called God's Healthy Household. And today we're going to be talking about the excellent personal trainer. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And as you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Ask the Lord for his help. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you that Paul says that we can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that today you would speak to to me personally and to us particularly. Thank you that you are able to do that by your spirit, through your word. For Jesus' sake and it's to the praise of his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now you might think that those verses are particularly um, for those other than yourself. You'd be like, you know what, those verses, hmm. Paul's evidently speaking to Timothy. Paul's a leader, Timothy's a church leader. Evidently, that's for pastors like Pastor Rob, Pastor Pete, and Pastor E. Well, no, this is actually for you. And I would even argue for every single person in the room, but particularly if you're a leader or you have aspirations to be a leader, or there's a calling on your life to be a leader. And I think I make the distinction between aspirations and and calling. Because sometimes you can be an individual that God has called and you're not obeying the call. And as you know, sometimes there's individuals trying to fulfill a function that they've not been called to. Now... You may well be a church leader, potentially. You may even be, if we maybe take it away from that kind of grand position, you may be a a community group leader who eventually may become a church leader. Or you may be a potential team leader here in this very church. I'm just talking to you if... You feel like this don't relate to you. It evidently relates to those who are already fulfilling those positions. But don't switch off because you feel that, well, I'm not in that particular role or position. How about leadership in other areas, in maybe terms that are not so certain? How about being a husband? Supposed to be leading your wife. And if you have any, your children, right? Be like, Adam, where are you? Your husband, you're a leader. How about if you're a wife? If you're a wife, then you're a joint leader, right? And if you have, if you have children, you're a joint potential leader with your, with your husband. And even if you ain't got children, then potentially you may possibly have children in the future and you'll be a leader in that sense, amen? Well, you might not be married 
and yet have a child or children? Does that take away from your responsibility of that child that you have? Some of us obviously who are, <clears throat> who are believers weren't always believers and sometimes we, I'm saying we look back on our past and we may have quote unquote made mistakes, right? Um, but whatever those things that we did that we may call a quote unquote mistake, we still have responsibility for, right? And um, I probably wouldn't put children in a category of, um, you know, well, I would, yeah, definitely leaders, but I wouldn't put them in that category of mistake. You understand what I'm saying? I say mistake in inverted commas. Um, let's say you're an older sibling. You've got younger brothers or sisters that you really are a leader over. You may be a single unmarried person <clears throat> right here in this church and you have a responsibility as an older single person in the church to set an example for those who are younger. And obviously to some of the more obvious leadership positions, you may be a manager at work. I'm saying manager over maybe hundreds of people or maybe just over one or two people. You're a leader. And how many of you know if you're a Christian, you're definitely directly or indirectly leading others. And the same principle is true even if you're not a Christian. See, the question is, are you leading others in the right or in the wrong direction? And... <clears throat> Some of you are leaders already, as I mentioned, and you're doing a great job and you ought to be encouraged today. But then some may not necessarily be doing a good job as a leader and hopefully you may get some help today. See why you can't afford to doze off? Be like, this isn't for me. Now, can I ask you to close your eyes just for five or ten seconds? I want to conjure up a picture in your mind, <clears throat> talking about the excellent personal trainer. I want you to think about an overweight, undisciplined person who smokes and is always down at the pub. Can you see that person? Stomach bulging as if about to burst, heavy breathing, wide gait of a step, overweight and obese even pint of beer in their hand with a fag hanging out their mouth. How many of you, before you open your eyes, are going to go to that guy for any kind of help in physical training? You can open your eyes. Here's a bit of trivia for you. This is Drew Manning. He's a little bit overweight. <clears throat> well, Drew Manning didn't always look like that. Six or seven months before that, he looked like this. Hey, I better move on quickly, innit? Don't want to stumble anybody. <laughs> well, Drew originally looked really fit. You can see the date, May 7th, 2011. And then he done this thing. He's a personal trainer. He done this thing where he said, you know what? I'm going to actually put on weight so that I can actually experience what those who are struggling to lose weight actually, actually experience. So he put the weight on just in a few months, eating just ridiculously junk food. And then, over a process of time, he burnt it all off again. And, he, and, and his thing is that, you know what, getting fit is not just a physical thing, it's psychological. And that's what he was trying to, you know what I'm saying, get over. And, <clears throat> and this is called fit to fat, back to fit. <laughs> now... The first time I showed you the picture and I said, would you go to him? You'd be like, no, I ain't trying to go to that, brother. He can't help himself. How's he going to help me? Right? That's one of the things I don't worship. One of the reasons why I don't worship Buddha. If Buddha can't control his weight issues, how's he going to help me? So, my man, you look, at the, you look at the picture of when he's fit, though. You know what I'm saying? And you would definitely go to him when he's fit, but not when he's fat. At the beginning of this chapter, we saw that there were three things in our text that would lead to an individual abandoning the faith, right? 
We saw that there were three things in our text that could lead to people going astray. One, demonic spiritual enemies. Remember, neighbors from hell. Two, false teachers who are hypocrites and what? Community group. Come in. Liars. And the third thing is these men were forbidding marriage and commanding abstinence from certain foods. We saw in verse 3. They were deceived into viewing God's good creation negatively. Last week, Mark pointed out the things that Timothy is to point out in relation to that. If he's to be a faithful minister, a faithful, a faithful servant of Christ. Feeding personally, being nourished in the truths of the faith. And exercising persistently, that is applying and acting on this good teaching. Verse 8, if you look back in this chapter. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Good servants exercising godliness, investing in eternity. Paul highlights the bad leaders and then contrasts them with a good leader, that is, with Timothy. And he describes the character of these bad teachers at the beginning of the chapter, the bad leaders. He will now describe the character of the faithful leader as we conclude this chapter. This is to Timothy, but also for everyone who is in the church at Ephesus. This is for the church in Ephesus, but it's also for us in the church in the 21st century. This is actually also for us, as I said at the outset, right here in Calvary Chapel, South London. In verse 16, Paul concludes that this will bless Timothy and those who listen to him. You and your hearers. Now, what will contribute to seeing this happen is commanding and teaching along these lines. This is Paul being consistent with his earlier argument in chapter one, and he's also gonna reiterate it again in chapter five and in chapter six. That is charging, commanding, urging Timothy. Look at verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Now this is the first of 10 imperatives or commands to do. That Paul charges Timothy within these verses, verse 11 to 16. In our text today, we'll see a number of do's and a number of don'ts. Do this, verse 11. Don't do this, first part of verse 12. Do this, second part of verse 12. Do this, verse 13. Don't do this, verse 14. Do this, verse 15. Do this, first part of verse 16. Do this, second and last part of verse 16. So the first two imperatives are things to do. Do this, verse 11, command and teach these things. That is the things that I've just recapped. Does he say suggest and converse? The man said command and teach. It's the difference between an excellent personal trainer and your brethren. It's the difference between my man, Drew, and your friend, quote-unquote, I should say. Your friend would take you to Starbucks, right? And buy you a, I don't know, a full-fat latte or a mocha with cream, right? And then they'll say, look, have a triple chocolate muffin as well. And what they'll do is they will rub your head and tell you, Start your diet tomorrow. That's what your friend, quote unquote, right? Quote unquote friend. (laughs) That's right. No, that's wrong. What you need is someone who will tell you, you can't drink and eat that stuff all the time. I mean, especially Starbucks, right? Starbucks going through some issues right about now. Better to go to Costa. Or Nero, is it Pastor P. Nero? Ain't trying, to support, ain't trying to support Starbucks. They won't pay their tax. Um, <laughs> see, a personal trainer will tell you to eat less sugar and back off of the carbs, right? Like no carbs after 6 p.m. <laughs> right? 
And they say, get, your, get yourself down to the gym. Remember Mark last week? What was the Greek word that was used for training in verse 6 and in verse 8? Gymnazo. <laughs> See, this is, this is a command, says Paul, but we don't, like, we don't like that, do we? See, we don't like to hear commands. People say it all the time, you know, don't preach to me. They'll be like, don't tell me what to do. But how many of you know we do need preaching to? We do need someone to bark commands at us, not suggestions. And it's not because of the person that's given the instruction, given the commandments, given the preaching, if you like. It's because of the one from whom the commandment comes. And it comes from God. And commanding is what we do very often in our preaching. Commanding is akin to preaching. Because preaching is proclamation. It's not so much conversation. It's declaration as opposed to speculation. But notice there is also teaching in verse 11. And if preaching is proclamation, it's not something to be debated, then teaching is explanation. It's telling someone what to do, but it's also telling them why. And it's this very thing that the bad teachers are doing. And I did say that correctly. It's the very thing that these bad teachers are doing. And that is they're commanding and they're teaching. We saw that in verse 3. What were they commanding? It says in verse 3 they were forbidding, which is a commanding word, I would say, marriage. They were requiring Another commanding word, abstinence from certain foods. These guys, they were leading. See, and good leader or bad leader, you are a leader. You are being an example to someone. So do this, that is verse 11, but don't do this, verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy, in the context, was surrounded by older men. Naturally speaking, in terms of their age, their biological seniority. But spiritually speaking, Timothy was far more mature, spiritually speaking. And you may be young and in an environment where those around you are older, but immature. Don't be intimidated. Don't be verbally amputated. Don't be productively alienated. Don't be paralyzed into passivity because you are younger than those around you. Particularly if you're a teenager. Maybe you should have had the youth in today, I don't know. You know, the bar is set very low for teenagers today. In our culture, Teenagers are not expected to be mature. They're not expected to take responsibility. Teenagers are not expected to be held accountable. They're young. Give them a break. Let them sleep till 1 p.m. when they're on holiday. Don't be too harsh. Give them loose parameters, they say. Our culture says you can't have high expectations of adolescence. Oh, is that picture still up there? You can't have too high expectations of adolescence. Alex and Brett Harris, their twin brothers, <clears throat> have another opinion. In their book that they wrote when they were 16 years old, the book they wrote is called Do Hard Things. It's on Amazon. I highly recommend it. Book or even digital download. Kindle. Audio also. The subheading... The subheading for their book, Pastor E says, I should have been a salesman. If I, if I don't make it as a preacher, I'll become a salesman. <clears throat> the subheading for the book is a teenage rebellion against low expectations. How about that? 
A teenage rebellion against low expectations. Do hard things. Here's a quote from Alex, one of the brothers. If we focus, listen up young people, if we focus on the props and encouragement of those who have low expectations of us, we become mediocre. It can be challenging to set our sights on excellence, particularly when we're hearing that we're already there. One of life's greatest lessons, which we all must learn, could be expressed in the phrase, you know what, that was nothing. Watch this. Challenge yourself and others to call the normal things normal and save that word excellent for things that really are. Unfortunately, we often get praise for things that weren't particularly difficult to achieve. How about that from a 16-year-old? A few years ago, my wife and I, we went on a one-off luxury holiday to St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Oh my goodness, it was beautiful. It was a surprise for me. I didn't even know we were going there. We landed in St. Lucia. I was like, St. Lucia! But then we got on a small plane and then we flew to St. Vincent. And it wasn't a letdown. It, oh. I ain't got time to explain and paint how beautiful a picture it was, but it was, I think it was well worth it. It was our 20th anniversary, and by the way, next Saturday is our 22nd anniversary. I think we're all on 20-odd years now, myself, Pastor P and Pastor Eve, to the glory of God. And we went on this luxury five-star, um, like I said, one-off holiday. It was incredible, man. And now, Liverpool Football Club have a football academy on the island. Um, And and it's there to develop local talent. And the under-21 Liverpool squad, they were there the week before us. And all of the staff at the resort were complaining every minute about this under-21 squad that was there the week before. Why? Because they had trashed the resort. Not just the hotel rooms, you know, the whole resort, drunk and disorderly. They, they threw chairs into the swimming pool. They broke windows and furniture. Sound surprising? No, not at all. Because it's common, it's common behavior for young men and even for young women nowadays. They trash the resort, like thousands of pounds worth of damage. And check it, this is really the, the, the kicker. The manager didn't even reprimand them. Why? Because of low expectations. We attach extremely high wages to minimal achievements. The balance is not right. See, this is the thing. If you can bend the ball like Beckham, mess up breaders like Messi, and run rings around a breader like Ronaldo... That's hardly going to get you any applause from me at least. I might say, that's nice. See, because most of that is just God-given talent. I know they do a bit of practice on that, but these guys, they do things they don't even know how they do. It's gifting. But you know what? You get a football, like, goal, kind of cheer and applause, and I'll jump on you and grab you and kiss you like they do when they score a goal, right? I'll do that. I'll start wiling out when I see the evidence of good character. Like, can you take out the rubbish regularly? Can you wash the dishes more than occasionally? Can you stay away from internet pornography? Like, nah, fam, that's too hard. Talking about teenagers, young people doing hard things. See, how hard was it for Jeremiah being called to be a prophet at 17 and an unmarried prophet at that? Not just when he was called, but for the rest of his life. Jeremiah, I'm calling you to be a prophet. What? I'm too young, Lord. Oh, and by the way, you're never going to get married. How about Daniel at approximately 15 or 16 in an ungodly environment? I mean, we use Babylon as a word that describes ungodliness. 
And that's exactly what Babylon was like. Imagine being 15 or 16 in that environment and not only being sucked into it, like, come and do this. Well, come and do that. Yeah, come and do this. No, man, I can't do that. Come on. All right, then. Daniel was like, you know what? I, I can't get down with the way you lot get down. The way you eat, your, the food you eat, mm-mm. I don't eat, I don't eat, I don't eat that kind. Just give me vegetables and water. What? But bruv, that's not how we function. I know. But I'm not going to be conformed because I've already been transformed by the renewing of my mind. I can't get down like you. 15 slash 16 years of age. How about Mary raising Jesus as a baby while still in her teens? And Joseph, possibly a young father. Taking on a child that potentially, at least initially, never looked like it was his. I mean, it, was, it wasn't his. Man's nowadays, you know, I'm not trying to take on no woman who's got kids. What? Nah, bruv. <laughs> and that's not outside, that's inside the church. How about Josiah? I love this. How about Josiah, who became king in Israel, how old? Eight years of age. Eight years of age and he reigned for 31 faithful years. It says, listen to 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 1 and 2. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Hey. Does this encourage and inspire you regardless of your age? I know it inspires me. This relates to us if we're young or old, amen? Sometimes it's more of a a rebuke for those of us who are older. Because we look at how much time we've wasted, right? I feel convicted to do better with the few years that we have left. Don't let anyone despise your youth. Ancient culture generally admired age above youth. I'm not sure that that is the case nowadays. In certain places it's true, right? I heard, I know in certain places in Africa, that's true. And we know a young young man, I won't name him, who we used to work with in schools. He was acting up, going on off key. They shipped him. And you know, I heard that he come back, Pastor E, you know who I'm talking about, bruv. He said, hey, he said, big up, bruv. He said, big up, because um, I think he tried to contact me on Facebook. But you know, I don't use Facebook, so my wife gave me the message. And I hope you never tried to contact me on Facebook, you know. (laughs) You probably thought I was being rude, but um, it's not that. I probably just never saw it. And I also saw a young man, brother, I saw another young man. I think I might have mentioned it to you in a week. Another young man. He was only a little bit of a, like, he, he he was 12 years old when we first met him, when we worked in St. Joseph's Academy. And I saw him. This week, it was so encouraging because I was thinking about this. I saw him this week. He's about 18 now and he's taller than I am. And he said to me, he said to me, oh, sir, it's so good. That's how he calls me, you know. We're on the the road. I mean, you've got kids that don't don't call teachers, sir, in school. We're on the road. My man's like, sir. And I don't think it's because um, me or Pastor E are great. It's obviously what what God has done. He He said, sir, it's so good to see you. He said, sir, on a level, you know what? I was like, what, fam? He said, sir, you man's changed my life. There are still some places, you know what I mean, where they see youth as an environment of submission. That is to older leadership and authority. Come back and change brother. But I would argue that maybe that's not true everywhere. Because... In most places, youth is heralded as an aspiration. I think the growing number of plastic surgery clinics will prove that, right? But generally, in church, that in church circles, age over youth is pretty much the order of the day. Like Timothy. <laughs> like Timothy, we, that I'm speaking about the leaders here at the church, we had to contend with this same issue. We've had people leave this church because they look at us as novices. We are young boy. I'm 
I mean, we're actually not as young as we may potentially look. And CCL is, is known in many circles as the rapping church. Did, I don't know if you knew that about yourself. The rapping church, you know, we're known as the rappers, <laughs> even including Pastor Pete. See, um, most of you know that me and Pastor E, we do a little rap thing, right? Pastor E, Pastor P back in the day used to do a spoken word thing. And we keep saying we're going to get him to do one of his things. He's, he's got, a, he's got a, a spoken word poem he's got called Me. And he's like, I was an all-night dance and an all-week raver. I had the digits in the book. Nuff Beanies, a playboy, the original womanizer. That was me. That's just a little part of it. We've got to get Pastor P to run that one day still. So, so I don't know. I don't know what it is. That's 20 years ago. But you know what? Is it because we wear baseball caps? I don't know. And because we wear jeans and trainers? I don't know. And kickers? I don't know. What is it? What do we have to do, Pastor E, to, to, be, to be accepted as more mature as adults, the adults that we are? For crying out loud, I've got a 20 year old, nearly a 20-year-old daughter. Lord. See, some people just don't take us seriously. I'm, I'm serious. You see, see, look, even you don't take me seriously. Some people are like, some people, when they refer to us, some people are like, oh, you guys. You guys. People look, you know, people look at our model of ministry and have said, you guys, when you're older, when you get older, <laughs> more mature in the ministry, this plurality, this plurality of eldership that you got, this team leadership that you got, that model, when you get older, you learn that it's not really, it's not biblical, it don't really work. I'd be like, fam, have you read Acts 13? Have you read Acts chapter 20? Like, bro. See, and, and, it, and they pat us on the head and tell us, and tell us to run along. I'm sick. This happened to us, Pastor E. This happened to us at a pastor's conference, a senior pastor's conference. We're not even going to be there if we're not legitimate pastors. If I'm lying, I'm dying. And the thing is, not only do older ministers who kind of know it all because they've done it and they've been there, right? Not only do they see us in this fashion, there's also parishioners. There are church attenders, there are members that can be like, oh, them guys. And you know, many people have left this church because they see us as novices. Not for anything other than our age. And it's all right. Because we can be in good company with Timothy. And this is what we mustn't do. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. But, see, that's, don't do that. But look, but do do the next part of verse 12. Do this. That is, set the believers an example. And that's what we would like to think that we've been doing for the past nine, ten years by the grace of God. And I mean, if you know, it's not easy being a leader out here. If you want to know, well, you try it. There's a lot of people who want to say a lot of things, you know. But let me see you go and do it. And... There's two sides to that double-edged sword, I suppose, in the way that I just said that. Because we do hope that some of you actually will do that. That some of you will be encouraged and inspired, you know what I'm saying, by our small contribution to be a leader. See, be an example, not a bad example, but a good example. Don't do that, but do do this. That's be an example how? Initially, five things in speech. Question. What type of things do you love to talk about? Well, whatever you talk about all the time, that's what you love. So what is it? 
What is it you talk about? Ephesians 4 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And the very next verse says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because that is exactly what we do when we talk trash. Verse 31 goes on to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and guess how it comes out sometimes? In slander. And you do that with your lips, with your mouth. All of this is expressed through speech. Let all, let all of these things be put away from you along with malice. See, husbands, how do you speak to your wives? Wives, how do you nag? I mean, how do you speak to your husbands? Colossians. <laughs> See, I've been married too long. What can I say? See, I, 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 we got a lot. <laughs> We're novices, but we we have got a little bit of experience. I mean, and I don't sit. I don't say that to have a guy. The wives, come on. You know what I mean? That's a joke. <laughs> or is it? Or is it? I don't know. <laughs> See? But this is about our speech, right? Colossians 4. And I did speak to the husbands first. Come on now. <laughs> Colossians 4 says, let your speech. Sometimes. Notice the language. Let your speech, men and women, always be gracious seasoned with salt it's like put a little seasoning on your speech make it taste nice to the ears of your listeners there's some speech see it's not and it's not just what you say it's also the way that you say it see how about the next one in speech but also in conduct first peter chapter 1 verse 15 says, but as he who called you is holy, talking about conduct, you also be holy in, again, some of your conduct. I mean, just when you're in church, right? One of the, one of, one of the, one of the most challenging places, I've found it hard to have holy conduct is, guess where? No, it's not even in church. Because, you know, I can come to church and I can play the game. You know why? Because I don't live with you. I'm only going to spend an hour or two with you on a Sunday, especially if you don't come community group. I ain't going to see you but once a week. That is our Sydney community group. So I can play the game and I can smile. I can ask you how things are. I may, I may or may not be interested, but I can play the game in church. Come on now. But you know, the, you, know the, you know the place I find it the hardest to behave with godly, holy conduct? Thank you. In my yard. Because I can't pretend for an hour or two. You can only pretend for so long. And like Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, guess what? Just like we spoke about a moment ago, the mouth speaks. And I tell you, it's in that environment. You see, you see, that's why fellowship is so important. Because fellowship is where you come into close quarters with individuals. And if you have enough fellowship, you will begin to get rubbed the wrong way. Remember Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. That's not going to happen without sparks flying. And so if we're biblical in our thinking, we won't be discouraged when we're in an environment where people rub us up the wrong way. And be like, what? I can't believe, you believe what she said to me. I ain't going back to that church. That's an individual who's immature and doesn't understand, <laughs> they don't understand the benefit of fellowship. But you know what? You can't run from your family. Well, I mean, maybe some do. But some have. Remember, we're leaders. And if we genuinely say that we follow Christ, 
one of the one of one of one of the one of the most difficult environments we're really going to get challenged and if we're honest we will say boy it's true is 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 in our families and that's with your biological like your nuclear family like mom and dad and kids or kids and mom and dad siblings but that's also extended family as well isn't it tell you First Peter 2, verse 2, says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And that speaks, doesn't it, when you're talking about family members who are not Christians. And that's not just outside of, your, outside of again, your, like where you, your home, mom, dad, and the kids. Because sometimes you might have individuals in, you, you may get saved, you know what I'm saying, and you're married to someone that's not a Christian. You're a Christian. How hard is that? But Peter's got the, the answer to that. Right, it's in First Peter 3. I won't quote it, but you can read it. Keep your conduct, Peter says, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See why conduct is very important? Because it contributes to either taking away from or contributing to God's glory. So act and so speak. Let's be genuine. May God help us to be genuine. And it might mean saying, you know what, I really don't like you. <laughs> At least that's being honest. You know what I'm saying? And say, but I know that I need to love you. And my heart is wicked right about now. And I mean, would you, would you pray for me? And I'm sorry that I said what I said after I said it. You know what I mean? Forgive me. I realize that that is really unacceptable. I'm so, you know that goes a long way? It goes a long way among believers. And it also goes a long way with unbelievers. Because at least they'll be like, oh boy, at least you're honest. You're not like them hypocrite Christians that I come across in the past. At least you're honest. We can, they can work with that. Can work with that. See? He continues by saying, set the believers an example how now in love. Now this speaks, if you like, about our motive. How we do what we do. Often we do the right things, but we do them from the basis of a, of a wrong motive. If I'm honest, I have to say, you know, like I mentioned, <clears throat> it's not all the time I say the right, I say, I, I say what I say with the right motive. It might be the right thing. With a, with a nice smile, a plastic smile, but if I'm brutally honest, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times I say things and um, it's not out of a motivation of love. Um, may God help me, may God help us, if you can identify with that in some sense. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. See, that's why we can never, ever not forgive, as painful and as hard as it is. If the Lord has forgiven us, we must also forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love. Pastor P taught me this. <laughs> this, ain't, this. This is not something that you pretend, because it says put it on. <laughs> put it on, you know. No, don't put it on in that sense, but put on love like a garment. Take off the bitterness and the malice and, and put on and as you're, as you're putting that on, if you like, what you're doing is you're actually putting on Christ. Lord, I don't, I don't really want to respond like this, but I know I ought to. I know I need to. You know what I mean? And it says, this type of love binds everything together in perfect harmony. It goes on in the list. It talks about being an example in faith or faithfulness, which among others in this list is the fruit of the Spirit. 
Are you faith-filled and therefore faithful? Like I said two weeks ago, will you be here next year? Will you be faithfully walking with Jesus in five, 10, 15 years time? And will you be doing it in purity, which is the next one? This is a big one, right? Because this one isn't always easy to spot. This one is very easy to hide, yet it's upon this one thing that if it gets out, your credibility can be completely destroyed. There is much that a leader can bounce back from. This is one of the hardest ones. Purity, especially sexual purity. In this, there must be integrity. And again, it's, you know, it's wonderful to have accountability. Um, it's actually a blessing. If, you, if you're trying to be a lone ranger, you will not survive. When Jesus, even when the Lord Jesus sent his disciples out, he never sent them out alone. He sent them out two by two. So who are you thinking that you can do this thing on your own? Apparently you must know better than Jesus. Now, as far as his sexual purity is concerned, Pastor P will kind of deal with this more substantially next week when he looks at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> but purity is a necessary essential, especially... In a leader, especially in a Christian leader. Paul said in chapter one of this letter, be of a pure heart. Be of a pure heart. And we all know that our hearts are desperately evil, right? Even we don't know our own hearts. So we need to ask God to purify our hearts on a daily basis. Um, out of the heart the Bible says guard your heart with all diligence because out of the heart come all the issues of life we have a pure heart a genuine faith a sincere conscience like Paul said in chapter 1 unlike the false teachers who have a seared conscience see and that is the overall thrust of this list of five points be a good example and I mean, you know, we can't do that in our own strength, can we? We need God to help us by his spirit. Now, another do, another do this, another imperative, verse 13, he says, <clears throat> until I come, devote yourself. It's another command. The false teachers were devoting themselves. Remember? In verse 1, just glance back at it. They had... Departed. You've got, to, you've got to see the false teachers are very similar to good teachers. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, the second part, says that they had departed from the faith. How? By doing the very, very same thing, by giving heed or, another translation says, ESV says, devoting themselves. But look at what they devote themselves to, deceitful spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons. See? They were devoted all right, but to the wrong things. Here Paul commands Timothy and us to be devoted to three things. To the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. How are you doing in your devotional life with regard to those things? See? Can you see that all of these are Bible related? How are you getting on with your Bible? How are you... As a teenager, getting on with your Bible. How are you if you're in your 20s? How are you getting on with your Bible? Those in your 30s, in your 40s, even in your 50s, how 60s even. How are you getting on with your Bible? Are you, are you devoted? How many of you know that? That we must read the Bible. I mean, there's, there's no getting away from it. There's no, getting, there's no getting away from it. And not just reading privately, 
But how? He talks about the public reading of scripture. So if you if you're gonna if you're gonna hear scripture read publicly, you've got to get into those public places where scripture is being read. At a particular time in Israel and that's so hard for us. Even now, you're flagging. I know, because if I was sitting where you'd be sitting, I'd be flagging too, probably. Well, I, got a, I, I love to hear preaching, so maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I know there's been times when I've flagged. I've been bucking at the back there sometimes. Yeah, why am I trying to front? Yeah, I, I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm just the same as you. But how about at a time, a particular time in Israel's history, when Ezra stood up and read the Bible to the people. Not just four or five verses like me today. The man got up and he read the whole Pentateuch. Like Bertram said, from morning till night, all five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. How about that? And if you think that was bad enough, the people had to stand as it was read. May God help us to have reverence and appreciation for, for, for what this book is. And I mean, it's, it's the words of God. And, you know, we hear, they stood up all day. We hear that, but there's particular groups that that is not a surprise to. That's not shocking to hear. Tomorrow... <clears throat> As a part of a module on Islam, our class has to go to a mosque. <clears throat> How many of you know that they have reverence for their book? As <clears throat> See, are, are we as devoted to God's revealed, inerrant, infallible word as found in the Bible? Are we as devoted see this is why we need preaching this is why we need to be commanded see he says devote yourselves also to exhortation which is godly encouragement and to teaching it would be it would be great to think that that is exactly what we're doing here even right now and every week that we gather Sundays and midweek at community group or prayer meeting, informal meetings and informal meetings. Sundays, more proclamation and declaration. And midweek, more explanation and conversation. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days, that's Old Testament, but I think in our context now, we look back at what is being written or what's even written in, verse, in Romans, that New Testament is all former days for us now, old and what was written in the New Testament. It was all written for our instruction, for that, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. There's no hope anywhere else. We make a big issue around here about teaching. People be like, man, do you have to go through every single word of every single verse? It depends how you see it, isn't it? We teach the Bible to exhort, to command, to encourage, to instruct because it's extremely beneficial. It says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I think the King James says, that the, that the man of God may be fully fitted and furnished for every good work. You want to be fully fitted and furnished? You want to be equipped? Ain't no shortcuts. You're only going to get it through the word. Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy, preach what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off, you know, into fables. You know, a myth is, a myth is something that ain't true. Which is exactly what's happening here in the church at Ephesus. And it's also happening here in the churches in London. Okay, here's the last don't do. Verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy, Timothy, when a council of elders laid their hands on you. This speaks of Timothy's formal appointment to ministry when the elders, elders, plural, because in, in, in that church they had a multiplicity of elders. It wasn't just the senior quote-unquote pastor. Okay. That's, that's for my brethren who patted me on the head. See, <clears throat> again, we saw the same thing in chapter one. He says, don't neglect the gift that you have, Timothy. But that also speaks to us, doesn't it? The issue isn't, do you have a gift this afternoon? The issue is, are you using it? See, the issue isn't, do you have a gift? We all have gifts. Now, you probably heard this phrase, use it or what? Or lose it. Now, I wouldn't go as far to say that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Because God gives gifts and he doesn't really take them back. But I would say that if you don't use it, you certainly won't develop it. And you definitely won't develop it if you neglect it. Let's finish on the last three do's in verse 15 and 16. I heard you say quietly, amen. Do this, verse 15, practice these things. Again, devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Do this, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, Timothy. Do this, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul understands that leadership, he understands the, the dynamic of leadership in discipleship. A disciple is someone who emulates or imitates another. That's a disciple. Paul isn't like these false teachers as we saw in verse 3. He isn't a hypocrite, like going to say one thing and do another. Listen to what Paul says in his second letter to Timothy later. He says, you know what, Timothy? He says, you, apart from the others, you, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Look at the amount of times he references himself as an accountable, responsible leader. Look at the amount of times he says, my, 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 my. Can you see how many things also in this list are Paul's expectations of Timothy that are in our list in 1 Timothy 4, verse 11 to 16? Can you see the correlation? See? Paul doesn't expect Timothy to do anything that Paul himself isn't expected to do. Timothy is evidently accountable to Paul but who's Paul accountable to? Paul says, follow me, Timothy. Follow me, Robert, Ephraim, Patrick, Bertram, Neil, Harriet, Linda. Where's Linda? Linda. <laughs> Sylvia. Sit down right next to Linda. Michael. Normally sits over there, but I can't see him. Paul says, all of you, follow me, imitate me, how? See, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1 says, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, none of us can save ourselves. <laughs> we definitely can't save nobody. See, none of us can save ourselves. You know, no one can save you. Not even Pastor E or Pastor P. 
John Piper can't save you. Pastor Chuck Smith can't save you. Not even the Apostle Paul can save you. Because none of them died for you. Only Jesus can save you. Because he died for you. So let us follow those who, who follow him. Because he is the ultimate saviour. And let us be godly examples of those that lead as we follow Christ. As leaders at school, college, university, as leaders at home, as leaders at work, and as leaders in the church. Jesus is the ultimate savior. He's the ultimate example. He's the ultimate personal trainer. In his name, may God help you to be an excellent leader, an excellent example, an excellent personal trainer. Saving yourself and also those that follow you. Amen. By way of personal application, can I ask you just to, just to close your eyes and I'm going to ask you to think of one person that you have the power to influence. Not that is a burden to you, but someone that God has graciously provided you with, with the opportunity to influence. Now, it doesn't matter if you're older or if you're younger. If you can understand the question, think about someone that you are potentially influencing. And I want you just in the quietness of your own, your own seat, just to pray. I want you to, I want you to think of that person and, and pray for that person. And I want you to pray for yourself. Ask God to help you to be a good leader. I don't know who that person is. God knows. May he show you. And if you need to repent and say, God, forgive me for being a bad leader to that person. And ask the Lord to help you. Because the glory of God is at stake. It's one thing letting, letting that person down. It's another thing letting the Lord your God down. The Bible says to him who knows to do right and does it not, it is sin. Confess that sin. And as you wrap up your prayer, I'm going to ask the praise team I'm just to come and join me. Just to help us Help us sing. How <clears throat> I many of you know, as the praise team are coming, you know that these guys are leaders. It's like I'm seeing leadership everywhere I look. Thank God for those who are willing. You know, very often we can look at, you know, I'm saying the different teams, especially the praise team. Oh, well, they never had a very good day today, did they? Well, they were really on, really on form today, were they? You know what I mean? But how would you like their job? How would you like to come up and have to lead? And make yourself vulnerable. Thank God for those who not only are willing to lead, but actually appreciate the responsibility of leading. As I come in, let's pray. Father, thank you for um, helping us as we look at Paul and Timothy and the conversation between them that spilled over to the, the hearers in the church at Ephesus, good and bad. Thank you, Lord. They've, they've run their race now. <laughs> they, this information ain't no good to them now. But Lord, it is for us. It was to them, but it's for us. Mm. 
Would you please help us, Lord, to realize no matter how quote-unquote large our responsibilities are or how minimal our quote-unquote responsibilities are, as leaders, Lord, would you, would you please help us? In the name of the Lord Jesus, and for the praise of his glory, we pray. Amen. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.